This is Writers Drinking Alcoholic Eggnog, which is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking alcoholic eggnog and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. Hey, at least it's November already. It is November. We are not censoring ourselves. It's going to be PG-13, and you should be drinking some of this eggnog. Your hosts today are Chaz Brinchley, John Schmidt, David Welsh, and me, Jeannie Warner. I said everybody's name right with this much eggnog. This is episode 26, Death by Cliché, part two. This is because last week um, I was on a rant and a tear and I had not yet stood on enough of my little soapbox to say... I'm sick and tired of some of the cliches, the romantic cliches that are used to describe women, girls, etc. But we realized we had a lot more to say. Uh, I was just going to say, you're not allowed to start it again. <laughs> I'm not starting again. This is the eggnog talking. This is, this is Writers say, Drinking Coffee, a podcast about I'm sorry, Today cliches. this is Writers Drinking Eggnog. Oh. And today we're going to talk about adjectives and adverbs in particular. And verbs. And verbs. I like verbs. And nouns. Let's round it out with nouns. And verbally. Let's talk about words. Okay. Parts Let's of speech. Let's talk about words because cliches, like 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 all writing, it's a bit words. of a cliche, but mm-hmm. cliches are made of words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is also true that most cliches derive initially from accuracy, basically. They are generally good ways to describe something, which is why <laughs> they get repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. Um but they get to the point of meaninglessness, mm-hmm. which is not a thing you want in your writing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I was, uh, because I am me, I was thinking about this before before I approached the microphone. I'm thinking, you know what's going to happen, Chaz? You're going to someone's going to ask you for an example, mm-hmm. and and your mind will go blank, and you'll be completely unable to think of any cliche at all. Mm-hmm. And then I thought. A horrid shriek rent the air. I turned to stone. My marrow froze in my bones. And yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it comes down in it. I mean, you know, passing that all the way through. The first thing is the verb. Um, a horrid shriek rent the air. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nobody rends anything anymore, except in that kind of context and and one other because there always has to be one counterexample. Um, I, I have I've been delighted by this for 30, 40 years. Um, there is a Charles Schultz Peanuts cartoon uh, um, yeah. where <laughs> one of the boys, it may be Charlie Brown, it may be Linus, I can't remember. I think it's Linus. I think it's Linus, um, is so appalled by something that Lucy says um, that he tears his shirt open and then glances down to himself and says, good grief. She hath caused me to rend my garment, <laughs> which I love. But yeah. but that's the only other usage. Um, verbs. Oh, that was biblical, wasn't it? It's, it's extremely biblical. Um, but verbs get attached to cliches and then they fall out of other use and, and can only be contained within the cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a thing to avoid because writing, good writing is also all about the verbs. It's, it's I verb you, man. I totally verb you on this one. I verb, I verb you adjectively. Adjectively, sure. Adjectively. Well, I don't know. Adjectively? Adjectively. No, adjectively. Okay. No. I'm, I'm going to go with him on that one, but I'm also going to say it does have to do a slight thing for nouns. What is a harbinger? You mean uh, a harbinger? Largely. <laughs> uh, yes. Right. But no, what? a harbinger is one who stands up and pre-sells, we are all going to die. For instance, Dave, riding with me in a car is often a harbinger. 
Noah Harbinger is the... He's not often right. The, the subaltern or lower level or officer or higher level non-commissioned really? officer you send into the town to secure lodgings for yourself and your fellow officers. Is that right? So, yeah. No. I did not know that. Uh, if, if you scout, pioneer, and harbinger a very specific military right. terms, sure. and when you have a, sure, sure. a town in front of you, the harbinger goes in and procures yes. the best place for the best officers. Right. Which is why it's always a harbinger of doom, because if a harbinger shows up, yes. there's an army behind yes. it. Right. I don't know. When, when so says, there's no other kind of harbinger. In a harbinger of good. I'll have you know, I sat on a rock once wearing bat wings and a scorpion tail, and I... <laughs> you totally felt like a Im- harbinger. And I, no, no, no. I employed a, a young adventurer coming by, and I said, I want you to be my harbinger. I want you to proclaim my coming and my domination, and the fact... Spread the word of the gloriousness of me, and she became my harbinger forever. Certainly, this but but, but Casey, Casey, in her Casey trial, Lancaster, on, fabulous woman, amazing artist, uh-huh. but she was a brilliant harbinger of my well, demonic the, uh, glory. Yeah, the only other one is uh, Pussy Willows are the harbinger of spring. Mm-hmm. Oh, crocuses! Crocuses are a harbinger. Yes. Other things, uh, other things. I always crocuses. Yeah, I always took yeah. it as yeah. a herald. Yeah. Then, so mm-hmm. harbinger is more of the herald of low springeth falling. Yes, mm-hmm. except for heralds say something's going to happen. Harbingers just sort of show up and start flying things out. But if anyway, we're, if, yeah. we're to, if we're talking about military terms that have become um, hush, um, um, cliches, mm-hmm. can I can I introduce you to the forlorn hope? Yes. yes. Well, we, I, I know what it is, but sure. of course you do. I've probably talked about it. Before. No, no, no. It's no, no. I, we we watched uh, <laughs> we watched Sean Bean faithfully through the Sharps rifles, so we are very familiar with the or Forlorn we read Hope. Great David well, yeah, Drake wrote a book called that. The Forlorn Hope, Did or we discussed. Oh, Lent David Drake! Drake. I just Lent I just got Lent. to meet him. Hello, David Drake. If yeah. you ever hear this, you are awesome, and I love your Hubbard tanks. Originally a Lance Connect thing. Yes. Right? Yes. Waddle? Lance Connect. Hey, Lance Connect. Those guys. Oh, don't stop. <laughs> um, so, so for long hope, um, for those who don't know, apparently I'm going to sat at a table full of those who do, which is always dull. Um, That's what we are. But um, for long hope is only peripherally associated with forlorn and not at all with hope, um, because it comes from, it comes from the Dutch fellow and hood. Um, oh, see, I didn't know the linguistic origin. Oh, did you not? It, it was no, Dutch. This is absolutely where it comes from. Um, the Falun Herp is the lost troop, literally. Mm-hmm. And they are the first soldiers through the breach in the wall. That part I knew. Because they're almost certainly going to die. Right. Um, and they, they are volunteers because their life is just in such extreme... Voluntold? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, if, I mean, if they if they survive, they get mightily rewarded, um, but mostly they don't. So so there's this beautiful linguistic shift. You go from Ferlon Herp to oh god, every Dutch person out there is going to criticise my pronunciation, and I don't care. Um, to Ferlon Hope because they they sound so alike, and the meanings feel as though they are alike, and okay. they're really not. I can see that. Well, beautifully enough, because looking at it, yes. um, they're known as. And everyone's going to hate this. The yes. enfants perdu, okay. the damn children yes. in the French, because the, French the lost, lost. lost the lost children. The lost sorry, children. as as a as a French girl, I gotta sorry. We, we, I don't mm-hmm. speak the language. Obviously. We do. 
Come on, know. think of it as Pam Perdue. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, and the other fascinating thing is it's hope in English because it sounded like hope. It actually yes. is close to the heap. Well, yeah. I guess it's, it's her, her, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yet another military example. Yes. Hoist by his own petard. Yes. Has anybody uh-huh. seen a petard? Yes. Oh. I've made a petard. Bless you. What is a petard, John? A petard is a bomb. It's a satchel charge in it, modern it's parlance. It's essentially is a landmine. Yes. And it was okay, I really a didn't fart. know this. A, a primitive landmine, essentially made out of a jar. Let's go back to the fart. So it's a jar loaded with yeah. gunpowder. Okay. Right. Um, petard is French, right? Certainly. Or I don't know. It, it sounds terribly French. French. It does. It's low French. Let's and, go on. And it could be a box, but you put it in a sack, yeah. um, and you ran it up to a fortification, mm-hmm. set it against the wall, and lit it and ran away. So it was the original satchel charge. Sure. Mm-hmm. And Shakespeare used it for the kind of fool who runs up, lights the fuse, and then and hesitates because he away. doesn't want to run back out into, into the, the gunfire in the struck zone. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Right. And then you're hoist. You are raised under yes. the Yes, I, I love that. I so it's sort of the opposite of Gavroche, really, who then ran under and picking up bullets to get shot in The Tale of Two Cities. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Not really hoisted. But the root of it is from peter to fart. Okay. Ah, uh, Lepetamine. Hmm? Do you know about Lepetamine? No. Um, Lepetamine was a a a um, vaudeville performer. Um, oh yes, who, of course. Who farted and musically. Made, musically and and obviously lit his farts at the end for a dramatic conclusion. But mostly, he farted musically. Now you all know, understand that that means that uh, J.P. Lepetamine from Blazing Saddles was a fart joke yes. that very few people got. Yes, of course it was. Which I didn't, and now I do. Thank you so much. <laughs> I remember that, but was that the campfire scene? No, no, Lepetamine was the name of the, the bureaucrat that oh. was sending the, the okay. black sheriff to the Well, there was also the town. campfire scene, but... Yeah, yeah there was a Which, Well, that was scene. another fact. Was in the, that was the to entire sure thing was a set of fart jokes. Yes. yes. So, the most obvious well, Brooks liked his fart jokes. all of our listeners have probably seen is in the movie, um, as the second Lord of the Rings movie that Peter Jackson did when the orc runs into the tower, mm-hmm. runs into the tunnel outside of Helm's Deep and blows up. Mm-hmm. That's true. true. Yeah. That technically is a fart joke. And there we go. And I'm sure that Peter got that, actually. I'm sure <laughs> Thanks, <did>. Peter. <laughs> now, going all the way back to the original point, this has become a cliche because it is so embedded in our consciousness in part because Shakespeare launched it so hard. I mean, it really (laughs) sticks, but in part because everyone imitated him. So going back to your thing, all of these started as a moment of genius and have been worn down into a babble of idiocy. Yes. Mm -hmm. All of these things. I mean, they lose their own meaning completely as witness. I Mm -hmm. I have lived 60 years with the phrase hoist by his own petard mm-hmm. and I have never even bothered to find out what a petard is or how you get hoisted by it because I, I had always assumed it would be some sort of physical hook. Or... It blown through the air. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. By yeah. far. And yeah. they make perfect sense once you're sure. So, I mean, we're in the I think we're in the um, in the business right now of creating a whole bunch of new um, cliches. cliches. What we need is some new well, you'll see that there's a lot of technologies that are quickly becoming obsolete that um, a lot of people don't know what they are, but they still use the phrase. Sure. If I call you on, if I call you on my own dime, okay. I, mean, 
Um, that's nigh meaningless to a millennial or a, a oh, an English one. Well, no, because you were around. Don't yeah. be obtuse. <laughs> but, but 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 it's from the payphone era when yes, when there yes. were pay one there were payphones and two people a, used a phone cost a phone well, cost you could a, drop dime. a dime on someone. That's you that's, dime. that's the one where I was right. getting confused because Karen, my, my wife, who is yeah. blessedly American, had to explain dropping a dime on someone. But now we're talking about the transience of slang, basically. Yep. Tuppence right. more and up goes the donkey. Now, right. Of course, every well. Pratchett reader knows that one. <laughs> but otherwise, you had to be an English Victorian person. And he also used uh, Beggars and Thieves cans in his book. Just fascinating. Right. But that's one of the sources of cliches, clearly. So, A good writer. Well. And or slang. No, 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 good no, writer I mean, making use of no, slang. No, I mean obsolescence. Oh, uh, sure. Obsolete slang. Sure. Yeah. There's, I suppose there's the gig. Can you take obsolete slang and make it funny? Yes. I think you can. And in which case, it's sort of the, that's the joke between you and the reader. The yeah. I'm making a tremendously funny joke. And if you're smart enough, you'll get it. Yeah. And that, um, except that these days, you don't actually have to be smart. You just have to know how to Google. Right. Well, well you have to know that there's something to look for. Though. Some people, sure. yeah, that's what I mean. But you have to know that there's something yeah. to Google. Like, but. I I'm the queen of all Googling, and I live to look shit up, but it's still kind of funny. They're like, ah, how does that work? And, and, mm-hmm. and okay, what is that really? Yeah. So, the, yeah. I'm, I'm going to undermine us for a moment. There's something that I have to call an anti-cliche. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a lot in the works of Terry Pratchett, because when you dive into one of his stories, you'll look at something and suddenly discover, just like Petard is a fart mm-hmm. joke, which, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know. Uh, for instance, in Small Gods, they are torturing one of the characters on the back of a brass turtle, mm-hmm. which is a clear echo of Paralos of Athens being roasted in a bowl he made for someone else to execute people, which I didn't know until much later okay. that it's a historical source echoed okay. forward. Well, echoed sideways because it's pure fantasy, but... To call Terry Pratchett pure fantasy is a fight I would love to undertake, not in this part of the podcast. <laughs> Woohoo! Another podcast! Make it up, Jeannie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, 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 with regard to that, it is absolutely true that I had to do far more research for my fantasies than I ever did for my contemporary novels. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much... Oh, yeah. Um, this is this is leaving the point entirely. Um, That's what we do. I know, isn't it lovely? Um, while I was sitting down to write my first fantasy, which was set in an analogue of the Holy Land after mm-hmm. the First Crusade, um, and and I had I had a teenage girl being carried in a litter by eight strong men across a desert landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, see, I mean, mostly I wrote crime novels, and and I knew how to get from Newcastle to Berwick upon Tweed. I knew how long it took by train or by road or by bus. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea how far eight strong men could carry a teenage girl in a litter across a semi-desert landscape. Mm. Um, and blessedly, these were the early days of the internet. So I went onto the internet <laughs> and I said. Does anybody know? <laughs> and 
fans are lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There were these blokes, <laughs> and they built a litter, <laughs> and they tossed one of their daughters into it, uh-huh. and they carried her around a field for an hour, uh-huh. and then they multiplied up, uh-huh. and we decided the 15 miles was fair, <laughs> and, and anything more than that was asking a bit much, really. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, I have kind of an engineering approach to it, Yeah, I would probably come up with probably about the same answer. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I would go longer if they were sousaphone players. Yeah. Very well, few. <laughs> I was just I, saying, you know... I would wager that, players, that none of the novel, volunteers... No, ever, not in his novel. There, I, I would bet money that there was not a single sousaphone player in that novel. Would I be right? Yes, you would. <laughs> money is yours. Well, I would, you know, this is this took me to the how, how long could they actually do it? Well, are you used to carrying one or not used to carrying sure. one? Because right, sure. it's like... like uh, CU marching band. The first mm-hmm. first day of band camp, yep. when a two, the first time a sousaphone is on your shoulder for six hours at mm-hmm. a time, yeah. and <coughs> your shoulder feels like raw hamburger meat, and you hate everything and everyone. Okay. And by the end of the season, you've 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 gone another you know fifteen miles, and you could go another fifteen more if you needed to because you're now used to the weight yeah. of a sousaphone sure. on your shoulder. Sure. And I would submit to you that a palanquin of a teenage girl between eight people is actually less than a sousaphone. Oh, it, yeah. it almost well, certainly is. Because I'm sure they don't construct them of oak well, or iron yeah. wood, but rather just, thinking let's bamboo. Let's say the like palanquin plus the girl weighs a nice round 200 pounds. Well, let's make it 240. Yeah, uh, that way it it's... 300? She gets curtains. She does have curtains. All right, curtains it, are explicit. All right. And, and we do have to talk the second three, girl in that one. Or make it, make it uh, 320 then, so it's nicely divisible by eight. Then yeah. That's 40 pounds a piece, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, how, how far can you carry 40 pounds? Through a semi-desert landscape. Through a semi-desert landscape with uh, sufficient water? With I mean, because you have to carry UN water. Okay. And, and that's what I was saying. If they are, yeah. If yeah. They are pros, yeah. it is right. different than yeah. I am a bunch of, you know. Yeah. True. I read a uh, I read an account once of um, what it took to get into the um, British SAS, the Special Air Services, yes. which is essentially the elite um, yes. British yes, it is. Navy SEAL slash Green Beret. Um, so these guys, um, just to get in, have to carry like a full pack, which is you know 100 pounds or something, yep. and and run. I can't remember where yes. or what, but it's it's several miles. Yes. In like a, a competitive time, what would be, yes. you know, I, I certainly couldn't do it unencumbered. No, um, it's, it's unlikely I could finish the yes. course. I, I believe they still call that yomping. Yeah, I don't know why they call it yomping, but they do. Yeah. But yeah, so yes. Um, and then I read about the mission these guys went on, and they basically carried about two hundred pounds of equipment apiece each. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of them didn't weigh. 200 pounds, yeah, but sure. they, they got off the helicopter with 200 pounds of equipment right. each and, and humped, that, that's the yeah. American Army okay, right. humped, yeah. humped the, the gear, because um, they had to take everything with them, right? right. All your water, water for the next few days. Yeah. Yeah. All their ammunition um, across yeah. the desert mm-hmm. to, you know, several miles, sure. whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. There, was, there was a famous... So those guys could hump that, totally. um, that girl, girl uh, across the desert. There, there was a famous act of piracy that I just wanted to throw out there. Vranulf was really pissed off about the Sultanate, and so he taught a bunch of guys how to sail on the Dead Sea because they weren't sailors, but you can't sink because it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Sure. Huh. Then they took their boats apart, portaged them 200 miles Certainly. over the desert so that Certainly. they could ravage up and down the coast. Uh, they got to Medina, didn't quite get to Mecca, but it still scared the crap out of the whole. <laughs> <laughs> so Suleiman was quite pissed. Hmm. 
So, yeah, what you can do when you practice yeah. and do regularly versus... Yeah. yeah, so there's so I suppose there's assumption of competence when you are writing to... Uh, so really, the answer can be whatever you want it to be. They can yeah. be yeah. complete neophytes or they yeah. can be, you know, super soldiers. Which yes. I hired them straight out of prison, do. so they're going to be good yes. for 10 miles and then they're going to want to lie around. Yes, so. I, I, at this point, I suppose I ought probably to confess in the hope that eight strong men aren't listening to this, <laughs> that I didn't actually use the measurement in the book after uh, all. I would like no. to say that if they want to carry me around the lake at Penzik, I will let them find out how far they can carry a, well, it's, I don't know, they'll make it out of bullets. If I like 300, it's a round number, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll be me, my glass of wine, my grapes, glass. my book of poetry. Glass, tome, but you're not that heavy. And curtains, because you must and have curtains. curtains, lacy, gently wafting curtains. curtains. Don't weigh anything compared to gently, quickly, tapestry curtains. Weigh. Slowly, yes, I suppose. But very. Nobody said anything about tapestry curtains. You want the breeze. These are actually the adverbs that I have to go through when I finished oh. something and I do a search on each one of them to find out. Oh, did I use actually? it? I actually do. I, I, because I, I, I discovered people doing this. Quickly and slightly is one of the oh, things. I finished sure. writing it. I've got yeah. 309 pages worth of joy here. Yeah. I've been known to go search on how many times did I use the word very. And, and then I take one. it out. Mm-hmm. And all of them? I actually take all of them out because then I can go back and put some What's in, but I allow myself no more than five. Get back to our theme. Guys, no, but it's still number. But it's still a. It's you know the cliches can be adverbs. You know he smiled slightly. Yeah, though I would I would know? like to contend that the notion that you don't need adverbs that adverbs are always supererogatory mm-hmm. is a cliche in itself. Okay, and yeah. it is one that is taught by pretty much every. MFA or Creative Writing MA in the UK. Yeah, is it- um, I, I, I used to teach on a, on a Creative Writing MA in the UK. Um, and I was, uh, basically I was the course heretic. Because everybody <laughs> else of course, clung of course you to were the, to know you. clung to the agenda, less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, yeah, it is the absolute cliche of all writing programs ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would say, yeah, sometimes guys, less is just less. Yeah. Um, and and um, I don't know. Me and Jane Austen like long sentences, so we, I, I would argue that with you. But here's the thing: is when you find that you're using the, you're, you're leaning on it. Yeah, sure, sure, just, sure. Don't leaning on uh, that's right. leaning on the word that I use slightly is one of my bad ones right. too. Of like, yeah. I smile slightly. I, you know, I right. but, slightly. But to Chaz's point, that's just it's. You're talking a matter of style when you're talking about creative writing. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, um, and, and everything I, is a matter of style. He contended. Mm, yes, <laughs> but um, <laughs> she titted boobily down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't actually a quotation, is it? I'm afraid so. so. Tell me it's Tim Minchin. I, I don't remember, but it was another okay. one of those. I mean, you guys were talking last week. You guys remember you were talking last week about the uh, the bad, worst entries to novels. Oh, Bulwer Lytton. Bulwer Lytton. Yes, indeed. There was, the, the W is silent. Oh my God. Wasn't there something really? about breasts coming yes. into the room? Do you remember? Can you? <laughs> oh God. Olivia oh. followed her breasts into my office where I was studying the dead flies on the windowsill and dropped a large brown envelope on my desk which rearranged the dust as he came to rest next to my right elbow, causing me to lose interest in the flies as I watched her walk away, watched carefully while wondering if the motion of her hips could bring a dead man back to life, which led to wondering what she could do to a man who was still alive. 
It made me wonder what she could do to the flies. Did the flies come back to life? Both of them hate Cambridge. Um, she like the lady of the flies. Mention, crime detective. Mm. Oh, I love that he got dishonorable mention. Uh, I like dishonorable. It makes me want to go for dishonorable mention. Yes. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, bringing the whole dead men back to life, the whole, you know. Is that a cliche? Yeah, a little bit. Film noir. More than a little. More. Noir cliche. No, really, it's the, she had a, you know. See, body that had spoken promises. and good noir actually kind of um, threw the cliches away and and turned it on its head. I remember uh, an image from, several from um, Raymond Chandler, the Philip Marlowe's. Uh, yeah, yeah, da, 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 da. That's the that's practically the foundation of noir. <laughs> right, um, it's exactly. not it's not throwing anything away because there wasn't anything yet. Well, except right, for Dashiell Hammett. But writing cliches in general, though, he he, I mean, he um, at one point describes a guy who walks into the room or something, and he uh, his tie looked like it had been tied with a, with a pliers, which is a great <laughs> image. <laughs> I mean, you just see this tiny little knot, right? So. See, weirdly, that wasn't where I went at all. Uh-huh. When you well, say a tie you know? tied with tie, with pliers, I thought didn't use his hands, had th- and so it was very messy and askew. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I would just I view went, it as being... engineer. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Gonna, it was funny that I was... And I went to yeah, think, well, well, it's like hard enough with fingers, let yeah. alone with just pliers, because then oh. you... Yeah. yeah. Makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, so using context, I think in context it was more... Tight. Well, yes, but I... Not sure. I did. That's just the impression that okay. I me with. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this cool. is what good writing does. It causes right. arguments across microphones. Yes. Well, that's what you need is, you know, more men walking through with well-filled trousers. I'm sorry you mentioned trousers. <laughs> I'm just talking about cliches. <laughs> there there have been so many cliches of women's breasts and hips. And, and it's like, it I think true. we should talk more about pas- packages and baskets. Fine with me. Right. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Or, <laughs> or we could do the other thing and just not objectify anybody's person. Oh, well. But then Jason Momoa That's wandered into the room. And I couldn't hear you over the sound of a wet Jason Momoa coming out of the water. As a matter of fact, I don't know anything that was said to me for about four months before Aquaman came out because wet Jason Momoa. Mm-hmm. Farewell, my lovely Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. His hat was at least two sizes too small and had been perspired in freely by oh. someone. It fitted better than it fitted him. He worried about where a house wears a windbane. A tie had apparently been tied with a pair of pliers and a knot the size of a pea. There you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I still kind of saw askew with it. Yeah, we we take your point. It will be very difficult to tie... A tie. Well, I was just thinking when you even when, one pair of pliers, let alone two. When you're mm-hmm. using these cliches, yes. are you then presuming that you were only writing for an English-speaking audience? Well, yes. first I language. Write in English. Well, no, no, um, but that's what I mean by is it their first language or this? Because yeah. I have, we have friends in Ukraine over at Arm Street. Hi, sure. Arm Street. Who occasionally like Can so? What does this Arm mean? Pres- yes. Of course, mm-hmm. we're gonna. What does that mean precisely? You know, how do they? Yeah, well, sure. Um, but. Uh, I confess, if this is a confession, I do, insofar as I write for anybody, because mostly I write for myself, I think, Um, but certainly I write for an audience whom I assume will understand what I'm doing. Yep. Um, I'm not going to... Now, from the perspective of uh, technical writing, um, you have to consider your audience... um, 
in I mean it it, it gets it gets sliced a little more finely, sure. right? Sure. Because are you talking to somebody with a specific technical knowledge mm-hmm. or are you talking to a a newbie, or you're talking to whatever, but um, yeah, but you can't cover all of those in the same text. No, you don't. But you—that's why you analyze your audience. Right. But I mean, you do the same thing even unconsciously, maybe as yeah. you're writing anything. Well, if you, you're writing, if you're writing fiction, and you and you're writing jokes, you expect somebody to get the joke. You expect them to have the background to get the joke, right? right. And, and if that means a certain familiarity with English, that's so. Having to having said that, I have been known to put jokes in. Um, in the total confidence they'll be completely overlooked. Um, I like, for example, I mean, the, the, right. the, the Crusade of Fantasy again. There is a character in there called Malon, M-A-R-R-O-N, mm-hmm. um, which, as you will know, <laughs> is French for chestnuts. Yes. Um, and, and he is, on various occasions, Malon Glacé, because he's really cold, mm-hmm. and he's sweet chestnut because he's being adorable, and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. All those jokes are in there, but they are for me. Right. Well, and you're considering your audience. Your audience is you. It's true. I'm very, well, I'm very careful. But, but there's also the possibility that you, know, you don't have to write down to people. You can assume things like William Goldman, The Princess yes. Bride. Yes. I didn't mean it, sobbed. Sorry about that, sobbed. Sobbed buttercup, not a single syllabub. Wesley knew that a syllabub was a drink made with tea and jam, but he also knew an apology when he heard one. That's very nice. I have to say, syllabub is not made with tea and jam. Well... <laughs> But it sort of gave a nod yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, and, and similarly, Lemony Snicket for the kids' books, they, mm. don't, they go ahead and use the words. They're putanesca, which means with very few ingredients. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Sure it does. Yes. <laughs> but it just describes it because a kid who's never made a putanesca sauce is now aware that putanesca is something, you know, red, involves tomatoes, and goes on pasta. Yes. There you go. There's something they might have learned a whole new word just by reading a Lemony Snicket book. And, and how later, awesome is that? As an adult, they can learn the origin of the word, which is a whole other level of joke. It means not very many ingredients, but definitely capers. And at another level, <laughs> you know where the word putanesca comes from. Where does it come from? It comes from the Italian puta or whore, because whores are notoriously... Um, Cheap? Yeah, well... Um, Don't have much poor. in the cupboard. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. My whore pasta sauce. Yes. Yep. Yep. Farts and whores, my Farts proud. and whores. We've now covered the gamut here. So uh, I think basically we probably better put a wrap on this and say that we'll put a link to stories and these fascinating jokes that we told on our website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Wait. You can't find us anywhere. We're going to hide. What do you say? It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents outside the Breast Western, the country theme strip club where the exotic dance duo of Stormy and Dark rattled the house, for it was a Tuesday, and fiercely agitated the lustful flames of the patrons who struggled in the darkness to rearrange their wranglers. Go to J. Scott, Hollywood, California, dishonorable mention, dark and stormy. Buller Litton, thank you. I got nothing after that. This is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks to Michael Engberg and Many Hats Music. Thanks to Jackal Designs, Jasmine McLeod. Uh, buy our stuff. That'd be great. Thanks. Thanks.